back on. There we go. All right. Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we are going to be studying in Luke chapter 12. So if you guys have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there are some under the seat in front of you. Um, and that page number in those Bibles would be 1607. Um, so as you guys are uh, making your way there, let's uh, just take another moment to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. And I will just encourage you guys with something I often encourage my, uh, my students with. Um, I'm a youth pastor. So anyways, uh, when, when I'm teaching them, I will often encourage them uh, with what Jesus encouraged us. He said, hey, take, take care how you listen. With the measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. So if you come with a little teaspoon, you're going to get a little teaspoon. If you come with a big old mixing bowl, you're going to get a big old mixing bowl. So, hey, let's, uh, let's just come together. As I pray, I encourage you guys to pray and just say, Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, would you fill us? Lord, um, I just thank you for loving us. Thank you for wanting us to know you, to have a relationship with us, Lord. Um, God, we thank you for that. And today, Lord, as we open your word together, may we receive it as what it is, your word, not the words of men, but the word of God. May we receive it into our hearts. We ask that your spirit would speak to us. We ask that you would uh, guide even my tongue, Lord, that things that you would have to be said would be said and things that you don't have to be said, wouldn't be said. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. We trust our hearts to you in this time. And we just entrust ourselves to a faithful and good God. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, one of the big topics in this chapter, um, there, there's several things that we'll, we'll discuss, but one of the big ones is the theme of fear, Jesus deals with it several times in our chapter. And, uh, you know, we, we live in a world where there's so many things that we could fear. What would be some of those things we could fear? Public speaking, apparently. Nobody <laughs> wants to answer? Okay. I have to be up here for an hour talking, so y'all could say like one or two things. Come on. <laughs> There's a lot of things we could fear in this world. I mean, there are legitimate things that are, are scary and crazy and way bigger than us. Um, and, and thankfully, God's word is full of telling us what we should do with our fears. And today we get to cover a passage that deals with that um, in, in some beautiful ways. Um, like I said, it's not going to be the only thing that we address, but it is going to be the main thing we address. Um, and I'll just be honest with you guys. Often when Pastor Jim asked me to teach for him, I'm preaching a lesson to you guys that the Lord's been preaching to me, <laughs> and so I'm preaching this message as much to myself as I am to you guys. Um, yeah, because fear is just something, at least for me, is, is something that is ruthless, and, uh, and yet the Lord can meet us in it. And so I'm excited for our study this morning. Um, so we're going to dive into our passage. Before we jump right in, we got to kind of get our bearings, because uh, we're jumping right into the middle of a book, jumping into the middle of Luke. And uh, so just to catch you guys up on some context, uh, Jesus has already started his public ministry. He's been healing people, preaching the good news, telling people to repent of their sins, turn to God. Um, and that has caused uh, a lot of eyes to be drawn to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes have had their eyes on him for a while now. And, and it's intensifying as things have gone. They, the, the scriptures tell us that they are envious of Jesus and that they're covetous and they see this being a problem with some of their money being taken from them through people going to Jesus. There's lots of bad things going on with the Pharisees. And so just so you know, in, in Luke chapter 11, um, just before what we're about to read, Jesus had been invited to a Pharisee's home um, and there's multiple Pharisees there and scribes there, and they're eating dinner together. And in typical Jesus fashion, he calls them all out right to their face uh, with no fear and, and, you know, really scathes them 
um, pretty, pretty intensely, they needed to hear it. I mean, they were living fake lives, and that's one of the things he kept saying. You're, you're hypocrites, right? You're just cleaning the outside, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Um, you know, Jesus would say in another place, you people, speaking of the scribes and Pharisees, you people draw near to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So he's just given them a strong rebuke, and um, that's where we're going to pick it up. So actually, instead of jumping straight to chapter 12, go to the very end of chapter 11, verse 53, and it says this. This is just after Jesus spoke to them. It says this, And as Jesus said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. So as we're reading through our passage, we just got to keep in mind the context of, of what's going on in Jesus's life and his disciples, right? They have a bunch of enemies now, and it's getting more apparent of that, right? These people are looking for Jesus. They're looking for a way to trip him up and, and get rid of him and his followers. And so Jesus now, chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus now turns to his disciples, and it says this, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven or the sin of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetop. So Jesus now turns to his disciples and seeks to teach them. After speaking to the Pharisees and calling them out on this, he now he, he speaks to his disciples and says, hey, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be going and living a double life. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be thinking you can put on the show for people and in reality, your heart's in a totally different place. God sees. God knows. The things that the Pharisees thought nobody knew, God knew, and he was not pleased with their lives. This is something the scriptures make clear all throughout. Ecclesiastes puts it this way, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. He, Hebrews says it this way, and no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account, right? So we've got to recognize, hey, we cannot hide anything from God, right? There might be things that we do in secret that we think nobody knows about. God knows, and he's not telling us this to be mean, right? He's telling us this because he loves us, and he wants us to be rescued, right? And the only way we're going to be rescued is if we come to him. If we hold on to these sins and hide them, right, then we're never going to be rescued. And, and the Lord is not pleased with, with uh, religious appearances, right? That, the Lord is not happy with that at all, right? Some of the harshest words Jesus had were to the people that everybody thought were the most religious and holy people, and yet they were living a double life, and Jesus called them out to their face. And that's because the reality is what God spoke to the prophet Samuel it's true. He says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God, the Lord looks at the heart, right? God is looking at our hearts, and he cares what's going on there. That's why when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, he said, hey, you heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, hey, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of committing adultery in your heart, right? He, he said, hey, if, you, if you, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, if you have angry anger in your heart, hatred in your heart towards another brother, right? You're guilty of murder within your heart. God cares about the heart, not just the externals. He said to the Pharisees, hey, if you clean the inside of the cup, then the outside will be clean too, right? You got to take care of the inside by coming to the Lord, and that's what Proverbs tells us. In Proverbs 28, it says, whoever conceals his transgressions, who tries to hide it, will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes their sins, right, will obtain mercy. Blessed, oh, how happy is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. 
And so Jesus is just warning his disciples in this moment. They're seeing the Pharisees, and all their lives they've heard that these are the, the guys, right? These are the guys that we should look up to. These are the guys we should try to be. And Jesus says, no, that's not actually the case, right? These guys are living a phony life, and their hearts are far from me. Don't be like them. Moving on, we're going to pick it back up in verse 4. And Jesus says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So once again, Jesus and his followers have a growing number of enemies that are eyeing them and looking for a way to destroy them. And, and now... Um, Jesus turns to his disciples and, and just tells them, hey, don't fear those who would seek to kill your body, right? Because he knows for his disciples, this is something that's going to happen for many of them, most of them. People are going to come in the future and, and kill them for their devotion to Christ. And he says, hey, don't fear those who kill, kill the body. They, that's the most that people can do to us, right? He says, instead, fear God who can kill your body and cast your soul into hell. Right? Fear him. He's the one to whom, like we just read, we must all give an account. We should fear God. And, and the scriptures speak about this all throughout. Jesus here in this moment speaks to his disciples about two fears, right? One that is a, an evil fear, one that is a bad fear, an unhealthy fear, and one that is a good fear. He says, hey, the fear of people, that's bad. Don't fear them. They don't deserve that place in your heart. They don't deserve that place in your life. The most they can do is kill your body. But God is the one who deserves our fear. And the fear of the Lord is spoken out all throughout the scripture as well as the fear of man. In Proverbs 29, God warns us. He says, the fear of man or the fear of people is a dangerous trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. When you're worrying about other people, what they think of you is leading your decisions right? That's what's controlling your life. He says, that's a dangerous trap. You're headed for a bad place. But when we fear the Lord, this is what the scriptures tell us, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death, right? The fear of the Lord is when we come rightly recognizing God for who he is, right? We realize, hey, God is the creator, the maker of heaven and earth, and I am accountable to this God. He is holy. He is just. He is perfect. And I, I'm undeserving, I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved, right? When we have that fear of God, it, it changes everything. Um, and exactly what Proverbs says, it's a fountain of life, right? It, it brings life, and it actually brings peace. It, bring, it quiets our fears, even as uh, the, the hymn goes, right? It was God's grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved, right? That's what... That's what God has done for us. When we come to him and put our trust in him, um, it, it actually brings us safety and peace. Oswald Chambers put it this way. He said, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And that is just the reality. Well said. Um, when God is our fear, we, we need not fear anyone else. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Like, who should we fear? If he's for us, who can be against us? Look at verse 6. Right after Christ tells us to fear God, he seeks to bring in relief. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. This is really cool. This is really amazing. Jesus is saying, hey, 
you guys know, sparrows are a dime a dozen, right? Like, it, it costs nothing, right? And yet, God doesn't forget even one of them, right? For you guys, these sparrows are worthless, right? Not even worth hardly a penny apiece, right? Or whatever. But, but God hasn't forgotten one of them. If, if what I saw online is true, which everything you see online is true, right? Um, <laughs> 1.6 billion sparrows are in this world right now, something like that. And yet, not one of them is forgotten by God. And Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. You're way more valuable than many sparrows, right? Like, sparrows weren't made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. You've been given authority over the world, right? Uh, having dominion over the creation that God's given. And Jesus didn't die for sparrows, right? Jesus died for us. Like, you are of much more value than many sparrows. And think about this. He says this. The very hairs on your head are numbered. Now, that's a crazy concern that God has, that he cares about the number of hairs on our head, right? Like, I don't care about how many hairs are on my head. I mean, when you have luscious locks like these, it's hard to keep count. <laughs> I know for some of y'all are out there, they're like, come on, quit picking us. I got like 10 left, and I'm fighting for every one of them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be bald for making this joke. I'm sorry. Okay, anyways. No, but think about it. Like, we don't know how many hairs are on our head, but God does, and he cares. And he, he, he cares about my hair more than I do, right? Like, that's crazy to think about. He cares more about my life than I do, even though half the time I don't believe that. Half the time we don't believe that reality. But it's true, and that's what Jesus is trying to bring us out to. He's saying, hey, fear God. Have that right place in your heart and your mind towards God, recognizing he's creator, he's God, he's Lord. You're not. But now don't fear, right? You don't have to fear uh, the, the man in this world. You don't have to fear those who would try to harm you because God is on your side. He is watching after you. It's a beautiful promise, a beautiful hope that we should take deep comfort in. Moving on to verse 8, Jesus says this, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven Now when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So once again, this is probably heavy on the minds of the disciples as they start to see, okay, these powerful people in our community really don't seem to like the guy that we're following, and therefore they don't really like us too much either. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't be afraid to confess me before men. He says, if you confess me before men, if you confess me publicly, declare your allegiance to me publicly, declare your faith in me publicly, I will, will uh, declare my acceptance of you in heaven, right? That's the idea here is, hey, you, you publicly um, embrace me, and when you come to heaven, I will publicly declare that you belong to me. And the opposite is true. You publicly deny me on earth. I will publicly deny that you belong to me in heaven. And that's intense stuff to think about. But it's the reality. And I don't think he's talking here about us slipping up, right? Having a moment of weakness where we might deny the Lord, right? Having a moment to share the gospel and we slip up. And in a moment of weakness, we take the coward's way out, right? If that was so, then... Peter would have no hope, right? Peter, in a moment of weakness, denied our Lord, and yet the Lord restored him. But I do believe this is speaking about a lifestyle, right? Jesus saying, hey, if you, and as your life, confess me as your lifestyle, I will confess you as you come into heaven, or I will deny you if you have denied me with your life. And that's just the reality. We cannot truly believe in Jesus and not 
ever publicly confessed him. It's just not possible. And that's what the scriptures tell us. Second Corinthians, Paul put it this way. He said, it is written, I believe, therefore I, have, I spoke, right? And that's quoted from the book of Psalms. And he says, since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Paul just says, hey, we believe this is really true. And because we believe that Jesus is really true, he's really died for our sins, risen from the dead, therefore we speak like we cannot do anything but that, right? If we truly believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, if we truly believe Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me, then we cannot help but to speak of these things. And so Jesus is able to say here, you do this as a lifestyle, you embrace me publicly as a lifestyle, that, that proves your faith, right? I will embrace you. And you deny me as your lifestyle, I will reject you. But in the midst of this, Jesus also speaks an encouragement to his disciples. He tells them, hey, this is going to happen. You're going to be brought before people. You're going to be tried before people. People are going to be questioning you for your faith in me. And he says, don't worry beforehand, right? Don't worry about it beforehand. Don't be freaking out like, how are we going to handle this? How is this going to work? What does he say? He says, you know what? I'll take care of you, right? The Holy Spirit will give you the words you need in that moment. And so what you need to do is just stay close to Jesus, right? Stay close to the Lord, abide in him. We don't have to fear the opportunities God gives us to testify of him. We just need to walk with the Lord, be faithful with him in the moment. And as those opportunities come, he will give us the strength as we abide in Christ. And so we don't have to be in fear of those opportunities. Continuing on. Verse 13, then one from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, my bro tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to him, to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So Jesus pauses for a moment in the middle of his, his teaching of his disciples, and somebody interrupts Jesus, right? They, they ask this question as Jesus has been teaching. They say, hey, teacher, actually it's more of like a, a statement. Hey, teacher, go ahead and solve this family dispute of ours, right? Like my brother won't share the inheritance with me. And first of all, this is just sad, right, that money has caused two brothers to be split apart. Money, these, these brothers have allowed the love of money to separate the love of family that God created to exist. And this is backwards, way backwards. And, and this guy's coming to Jesus saying, hey, fix this. And Jesus just doesn't take any part in it, right? He's like, I didn't come here for that, right? He just says, uh, who made me the arbitrator of you? Why, why, why I'm not going to step into this, right? Christ came into the world to save sinners, not to deal with domestic little things like this. In this moment, he sidesteps that and then takes an opportunity to teach his disciples. Um, and Jesus is a master at doing this, right? He, he does this so well, so perfectly, he, where he takes a situation that's happening and he um, turns it into teaching his followers, right? And I'll say this just as an encouragement, as a side note for you parents, look for those teachable moments that God gives you, right? A lot of times they come in the package of inconvenient moments, right? They come in a place where we might want to get frustrated and whatever, right? But rather than seeing those things as uh, just an obstacle to get around, see them as an opportunity to teach, right? And that doesn't just go for parents, right? That might be uh, I mean, all of us should be making disciples, right? So as we're hanging out with people that the Lord allows us to influence, be looking for those moments where we can just speak life, right? That's what Jesus does here so well. And he, and he just takes this moment to teach this man a lesson as well as those who are listening. And in verse 15, I just love it. It's so powerful the way Jesus puts it. And I'm going to read it to you guys in the New Living Translation. It says, Then Jesus said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. 
you're not, your net worth is not what determines your value, right? I know that doesn't um, compute with American ideology, right? Like, it, it, but, but that's the reality. Our net worth is, is not what defines us. And then Jesus tells a story to illustrate this reality. Verse 16, it says, Then Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, and listen to his uh, I mean my talk, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store up all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So he is a fool who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Just notice this guy, I mean... Over 10 times, he says something to the extent, I, me, my. Um, he has no regard. He, he's living for himself. He's full of arrogance, thinking his life is going to go on forever. And, and he's just living for the comfort that his wealth will bring him. That's it. He's so self-confident. He's, he's so sure that he could retire and enjoy many years of ease and pleasure but God had different plans. His life was taken. His riches were given to somebody else. And most tragically, his soul was lost. I'll read uh, that last verse again in, in the New Living. It says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus would put it this way. Jesus said to his followers, his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And this guy was certainly hanging on to his life. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. He says, hey, what is more valuable than your soul? What would you trade your soul for? And just think about that. If any of you here today do not know the Lord, just ask yourself the serious question. All right, what am I willing to trade my soul for? Am I willing to tr trade it for a Lamborghini? Am I willing to trade it for uh, a mansion? Am I willing to trade it for becoming president of the United States? What am I willing to trade my soul for? And if you don't come up with a good answer for that, then how about you get serious with God, right? Because you're trading your soul for something if you have not come to God yet. David, in Psalm 39, prays a very fitting prayer. He says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. And the reality is we just don't know how short our lives are. Like, we think we're going to have life forever, right? We don't, we don't know, right? It's almost been, uh, at the end of this coming week, it's going to be a, a year since my cousin passed away. Only 25 years old, died in a house fire. Went to bed like every other night, woke up to smoke inhalation and died, right? And for me thinking about it, it, it still doesn't feel real. It's like, no, my, my cousin's like, how is he dead? He's so young. Like, it doesn't compute. We don't know when our last day will be, and we need to not be living an arrogant life like this man that Jesus speaks of. But so many people live that life, building up wealth like they're going to live forever, like this, this earth lasts forever, like this life lasts forever. It doesn't. And exactly what Jesus said, you're a fool for, for building up wealth in this world and not having a relationship with God, not being rich towards God. David goes on to say, Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than a hand width, the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We are merely shadows, moving shadows. 
All our busy rushing ends in nothing. Sounds like the United States just running around like crazy. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so David's thinking about this. He's like, man, what am I going to do with my life? Like, this is what people are doing. I see him running around trying to get money and yada, yada. But our days are so short. Where am I going to, what do I do? Where do I put my hope? He says, and so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Rescue me from my rebellion. Do not let fools mock me. David just re- walks in wisdom here and realizes the only place of hope in, in facing the shortness of our life and facing the futility of living for money. He says, my only hope is the Lord. Rescue me, deliver me from my sins. Let's continue in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And if you are not able to do the least, why, do you anxi- why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which is here today in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations, the ungodly of the world, seek after. And your Father knows. He knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have. Give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In light of the fact that our life is not measured by how much we own, Jesus goes on to teaching his disciples, his followers, to not live with anxiety about their everyday lives, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear, how they're going to pay the electric bill, all these sorts of things. Of course, they didn't have electric bills. Their oil for their lamps, maybe, right? He says, is not your life more than these things? And we've got to take note of that. We've got to realize who's saying that. Jesus is saying that. Jesus is the one who created us. This is our creator telling us what we're here for, right? He's saying, hey, You weren't created just for food or for clothes or for a house or for a car or for this. He says, isn't your life more than these things? This is our creator telling us this, guys. This would be like Steve Jobs telling you, hey, is not your iPhone more than a paperweight? (laughs) Right? Like, it is. Right? It is. And and so we'd understand, okay, there's significance to what's being said by this fellow. He made the thing, right? Jesus made us. He knows what our life is for. And he says, hey, your life is more than these things. And when we think about what our life is for, God sums it up for us very clearly in the book of Mark. Jesus said this, the first of all the commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. We want to know what we're here for. It's not for food. It's not for clothing. Right? We're here to love God. We're here to love others. Right? We're here to know God. To have, be rich toward God. Having a relationship with him. Receiving his love and giving his love. And I just wonder how many times we're robbed of entering into the reason, the purpose for our existence, because we're spending all of our time being consumed with the fear of things that don't come to the, close to the purpose for which we were created. Right. 
And I'm preaching to myself here today. Jesus then gives us two examples, the ravens and the wildflowers. Now, just to be clear, these examples he gives, they're not speaking to us about um, planning or speaking to us about our work ethic, right? Jesus very clearly in this context is speaking about um, dealing with anxiety, dealing with fear. So don't let what Jesus says here about, um, you know, the, the birds not having any plans or anything like that uh, undo what the book of Proverbs tells us to be those who are wise and prudent, right? But let it deal with us in regards to the context of what he's talking about, of dealing with our daily life, of giving our anxieties to the Lord and trusting our lives into his hands. When you think of the birds, right? I think the point of this is that when was the last time you saw a bird sweating bullets trying to come up with its monthly quota of worms, right? You don't see that. When was the last time you saw a bird frantically trying to build a barn to gather all of its, its seeds and, and worms or whatever? You don't see that, right? You see birds beautifully flying through the air, landing and swooping up some unsuspecting little bug and living off that, right? Like daily just living off of the things that God puts in front of them every day. And they're just hopping around all happy and singing their little songs, right? Like you, when you look at them, it's like God's trying to teach us a lesson through his creation, which the Bible is always telling us that, right? Like the heavens declare the glory of God, right? Like sometimes we just got to get up off our phones, maybe get up off our butts and go outside and look at what God has made, right? Like and let him speak to us the things that he wants to speak to us. And then he speaks about the, the flowers. And I know we're kind of flower-deprived in our state, right? So we might not have as much experience with this one, but maybe you could watch a YouTube video on this one, okay? <laughs> um, no, but, but seriously, I mean, uh, look at the flowers. Right now it's spring. You've got some flowers um, blossoming on the trees. And you can just see the beauty and the wonder. And like, man, they're just, they're, they're incredible to look at the beauty they have. And, and Jesus says, hey, Solomon and all of his glory wasn't as pretty as these things that I made. And these things are here for one day and gone. And, and so the point of all this is Jesus says, hey, these things aren't freaking out. You know, the, the flowers aren't out, out there sweating up a storm trying to, to clothe themselves. God just naturally causes them to be clothed. And he says, hey, if God cares about the wildflowers that are here, and if God cares about the ravens, doesn't he care about you? You're of much more value than many birds. And take note of verse 25 and 26. I'm going to read it to you in the ESV. It says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And if you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? The New King James says you can't add a cubit to your stature. So either Jesus is speaking about physical height. Hey, all you're wearing can't get you an inch of growth, right? You're, you're never going to be Shaquille O'Neal. You're never going to be Yao Ming or whatever, right? By worrying, it's not going to happen, right? But um, oh, 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 it might be the case that he's speaking about our life. You're not going to be able to add even a, an hour to your lifespan, right? Either one, we can't do. And Jesus just said, hey, if you can't do something so simple as that with your worrying, why would you worry about the rest? Do you really think that your worrying is going to do anything else? No, it's not. If anything, it might be able to take an hour off of our lifespan, right, with what we know what worrying does to the body, what it does to the heart, what it does to our hair, right? Like <laughs> worrying does a lot of things that are bad, not good. And so Jesus is just like, don't, don't be doing that. Don't be doing that. Corey Tim Boone put it this way. He says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And that's just what it does, right? It accomplishes nothing but draining us out. And that's why Jesus calls us away from it so that we can invest our heart and our mind into his kingdom and into things that last, into things that we were created for. Uh, there's an a old quote that goes something like this. Worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't get anywhere, 
And, and that's just the reality, right? Like, it, nothing is accomplished by our worrying other than us being miserable <laughs> and us dishonoring our God. You think about it. If our worrying accomplishes nothing, why do we do it? Jesus tells us why we do it. Look at verse 28. At the end of it, he says, Oh, you of little faith. We do it because our faith is little. We do it because we don't trust that our God is either powerful enough to care for us or we don't trust that he is good enough and wants to care for us. Those would be the reasons why we don't trust him. And for some reason, we think that's a small thing sometimes, and I think it's because worrying is so common. But I know when I read this, I was cut to the heart. Um, just thinking about why do I doubt the Lord? He's been so good to me. He's never given me a reason to doubt him. He sent his only son to die in my place so I could be made right with him, and yet I doubt him. John MacArthur put it this way. He said, for some reason we think of doubt and worry as small sins, but when a Christian displays unbelief or an inability to cope with life, he is saying to the world, my God cannot be trusted. And that kind of disrespect makes one guilty of a fundamental error. The heinous sin of dishonoring God, that is no small sin. And that's heavy stuff. When I was younger in the Lord, I remember uh, just daily, daily trust in the Lord with such childlike faith, such simplicity, like, man, Lord, what do you got for today? I, I, you got this? Like, what are we going to do? And you know, just daily letting him, you know, like a little bird hopping around looking for worms and like, all right, what are we going to do, Lord? Let's sing a song. And, you know, and, and as I've grown older, I've become too sophisticated, too skeptical for my own good. I long to go back to a simple childlike faith like I had when I first started following Jesus. And maybe that's where some of y'all are too. And maybe it seems like this is an impossible way of life. Maybe it feels like we're so far from this today. Well, I, I, I want you guys to hear, if that's where you're at, I want you to hear the wonderful, amazing encouragement from our Lord in verse 32. He says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This encouragement is amazing. It's so tender, so kind so large, it's incredible. First of all, notice that Jesus calls his disciples his flock. In spite of them being little, in spite of them being little in their faith, he still claims them as his own. In spite of their weakness, or maybe because of their weakness, he claims them as his sheep and promises to be their shepherd. And this reminds me of what Jesus spoke in John 10 through 11. Um, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. Speaking of Satan, he says, but I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly, overflowing. We've got to believe that. Like, God wants us to have life overflowing. He's our creator. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When we understand that Jesus is our good shepherd, and we understand the lengths he went through to protect his sheep, to save his sheep. He laid down his life for the sheep. He laid down his life for you. When we understand that, we'd be like, okay, you know what? I don't have to be afraid. I got a good shepherd, right? He is my good shepherd. It reminds me, I believe Jesus was uh, calling back to all the times in the Old Testament where the Lord is spoken of as a shepherd, and maybe most famously in Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I have all that I need, he'll take care of me. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will 
dwell, live in the house of the Lord forever. And just think about that, and it's such an encouragement to realize Christ is our shepherd. We are his flock if we have turned to him in faith. And secondly, notice how large and amazing this promise is. He doesn't say here, hey, fear not, little flock, for it gives your father great pleasure to give you a donut hole or to give you a cheeseburger or a car or a house, right? He could have said something like that, right? He doesn't. He says it gives your father great pleasure to give you the kingdom. Like what? Honestly, tell me now if you got something better that you want other than the kingdom of God, the place where God dwells, the place where no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, like all that is there. What more do we want? Why do we need to fear? David knew it, right? David said, hey, God's goodness is going to follow me. It's going to chase me down. That's actually the word there. It's going to pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Think about the house of the Lord. What is the house of the Lord? What is your house? It's the place you live. The house of the Lord It's the place God lives, right? It's saying, hey, I'm going to go live with God forever, right? That's what heaven's all about. That's what the, the scriptures speak about, that in the, uh, in the end, God's going to create a new heavens, a new earth where righteousness dwells, and he is going to be with his people to live with them and wipe away their tears personally. Like, that's incredible. David knew, hey, the kingdom is mine. What do I have to fear? But for some reason, we doubt God's heart towards us, right? We doubt um, this most amazing promise. And if that's you today, maybe you just need to remind yourself, and maybe I need to remind myself, the cost that it took for God to give us the kingdom. You guys know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and what that entails is he gave his only begotten son to take on the weight of every sin in this world, to become guilty of every murder, every rape, every genocide, all of that. He became guilty of all that. That's what the father gave his son up to. So that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life, have the kingdom of God. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If the father gave up his son so that we could receive the kingdom, we've got to trust him with the other things too, right? Like what could be more important? Paul points out this very reality in Romans 8. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He says, hey, think about it, people. Think about it, people, is what he's saying to us, right? If God didn't spare his own son but he gave him up for us, how is he not going to also freely give us all things, right? All things that are needed, truly needed, right? Our perspective on that is very different from God's perspective. Just ask the Apostle Paul, right? Think about what Paul went through, right? In one moment in particular, you, you learn a lesson from his life. He, he was given a sickness, and he asked God three times, take this sickness away, take this sickness away, take this sickness away. And then God answers. And for Paul in that moment, he didn't think it was a good thing. He was like, I want this out of my life. And God answers and says, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul is able to write in that same area of Scripture. He says, I know why God did this now. I didn't understand it in the moment, but I know now why. It was because I would have become prideful. I would have become in a place where I was unusable by God. And therefore, I went through this. And so sometimes what you need is not what you want, but your Heavenly Father knows it. And he will graciously give us all things we truly need. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn us? Christ is the one who died. And there, more than that, he was raised. He was at the right hand of God. And now he is interceding for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation, hard times, distress, persecution, famine, lack, nakedness, danger, the sword, as it is written by God's people, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. So just because things are hard, does that mean that God's promises have failed and that he doesn't actually love us and he's not actually going to give us the kingdom? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Just make it really clear. Nothing ever, ever, forever, never, right? Like nothing ever will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the thing is, guys, when we're walking in fear, what we're really doing is we're doubting God's love for us. We're saying that God doesn't actually love me enough to care for me. Brothers and sisters, he gave up his son for us. He loves us, and he will gladly give us his kingdom. And think about it. Jesus could have just said it very matter-of-factly. Don't be afraid. The Father's going to give you the kingdom. He could have said it like that, right? And that would have been enough. should have been, right? But he says, hey, he reveals to us the Father's heart. He says, hey, you know what? It gives your Father great pleasure. It makes him super happy to give you the kingdom, right? Like if we really believe that reality, like, hey, God is stoked that I, that I get to go to heaven with him. Like God is super excited about this. God is happy about this reality to be able to give me the kingdom. That would change our hearts. And as we grow in our walk with the Lord, I believe what First John says will become true of us. He says this, we have come to know and rely on or believe in the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. When we really start to grow in the Lord and understand his great love for us, that he would send his son to die for us even while we were unworthy sinners, right? Then we're going to start to understand, okay, I, can, I know his love, and I can rely on his love. I can bank on his love. Even when the banks around me are closing or whatever, all the craziness that's going on in this world, that's why Jesus said, don't store up your treasures here on earth. These things go away. But we can bank on the fact that Christ loves us. And nothing can separate us from his love if we have come to him in faith. Peter would put it this way. Casting all your cares, your anxieties, your worries, your concerns on him because he cares about you. Right? He says, hey, give all these things to God. The reason why is because he cares about you. He loves you. Give it all to him. You don't have to carry it anymore. Psalms would tell us, hey, cast your burden onto the Lord and he'll sustain you. He'll carry you. But don't take it back. Don't give it to him in prayer and then be, ah, take that back, right? And just keep worrying on it all the rest of the day. That doesn't work. It's no good. And I speak from experience. <laughs> Um, I don't know where this meets you guys today. Maybe some of you guys are doing great in this, and you're like, man, just preach on. And then some of you guys are like me, and you're like, man, this is rough. This is hard. How do I do this stuff? Well, I want to end, if that's where you're at, um, just reading some scriptures. I tried to edit some of these out because there were so many, and I was just like, these are too good. So we're just going to end by reading a lot of little scriptures. And uh, I just pray that these will wash over your heart. And then after I read these, I'll deal with one more place where some people might be. And then we'll close. Philippians would tell us this way. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything. Anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That's a desirable place to be, right? Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Like God is seeking to bring peace into our lives, right? The scripture said he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Psalms 121 puts it this way. I will lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord 
who made heaven and earth. Just remember that the Father who promised to give us the kingdom made heaven and the earth, right? If he can keep the world in orbit and all the galaxies from like exploding and, you know, all the, the elements that we're made up of from blowing up, if he can do that, he can take care of us and he can bring us to his kingdom safely. David in Psalm 56 puts it this way, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in God. I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? David's just really honest with us. He doesn't say, if theoretically I ever happen to fear, I'll put my trust in God. He's just like, hey, whenever it happens, it's gonna happen. I'm going to choose rather than holding on to those fears. I'm going to turn to God, put my trust in him. And he, he just says, what, what, can God, what can flesh do to me? What can people do to me? I've, God's my hope. Psalms 112 puts it this way, for the righteous will never be moved because they're receiving the kingdom. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news even if that's all the craziness that's happening on amongst the nations, Russia, Ukraine, China, all that crazy stuff. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries because one day death will be defeated, the last enemy, and we will receive the kingdom. And Hebrews makes us this promise. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and offer our God is a consuming fire. And he is able to accomplish what he's promised. And he set up a kingdom. Nothing's going to shake it, right? We're going to receive that kingdom. And so since we're receiving that kingdom, let's be grateful. Let's live in God's grace. Let's live in thankfulness to God. Let's live at peace in our hearts. And let's display to a world that's in panic, hey, we have a God that can be trusted. We have a rock that cannot be moved. And you can come to him and find peace. Where else is there peace in this world? Where else is there hope in this world? Every person's going to die, right? All the craziness that's going on in this world, things are falling apart, right? People need to see there is a hope. And I don't know what I would do if I didn't have this hope. I don't think I would keep living. I think I would have killed myself, to be honest. Like, where else is there hope? There's no other reason for being alive except for the fact that Christ Jesus has overcome this world. My favorite verse is John 16, 33. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have trials. Take heart. Don't give up because I've overcome the world, right? We don't give up. We don't lose heart. We don't give in to fear because Christ has overcome the world. And the scripture says, all who trust in Christ will also overcome because he lives, we too will live. And Paul, the apostle, knew this well, even though he went through all the craziness he went through, right? I mean, he, he was shipwrecked. He was thrown in jail for preaching Christ. He was beaten with, with rods multiple times, stoned with rocks, not weed, right? And, and Paul, Paul says this, hey, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Right? Like, with all the craziness that Paul went through, he's like, hey, God, he's going to deliver me from every evil attack. Like, yeah, I might get some bruises and might hurt a little bit, and people might think I died on the floor over there for a little bit, and then they'll pray for me and I'll get back up. Right? Like, all these crazy things might happen, but God's going to bring me there. No matter what, I mean, he gets beheaded, right? Paul dies getting beheaded. Guess what? Kingdom of God, right? Like, come on. You know, that's, that's the reality. The kingdom that we've been promised can't be shaken. Hebrews says, uh, keep your life free from covetousness and be content with the things that you have because God has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Therefore, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper what can man do to me, right? We don't have to fear, and maybe persecution comes to our country. I don't know. Some crazy things are happening, and we don't have to live in fear, right? We just keep preaching Jesus, keep telling people about the kingdom that God has freely given to us, that the Father loves to give to us and loves to give to anyone who will call on his name 
Like, that's the message we have, right? And think about it. He is a good father. We live in a world where that's broken, right? And many of, many of you guys might not have experienced a father who loved you and showed faithfulness and kindness to you, but God is a perfect father. And he gave us the example in scripture. He said, hey, if you evil parents, right? And he calls you parents evil, so that's, you know. But he, he just says, hey, if you evil parents know how to give good gifts to your kid when they ask, right? He says, how much more will your perfect heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those who ask? How much more will he give them the Holy Spirit of those who ask? Like, we got to start seeing let any problems we had with our earthly fathers because God says, hey, they're not perfect. They don't fully represent me. They are evil, right? Um, to one degree or another. He says, we got to move past that and see God as a perfect father. And when we see the father's heart, we realize, hey, he loves me. He, he is so happy to give me the kingdom, so much so that he sent his only son to bear the penalty of my sin on the cross. David dealt with it this way in Psalms 139. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. He's like, I don't even know all the anxieties that are in me. Lord, would you just go in there and find all those hidden anxieties that I don't even know about, right? And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And maybe that needs to be some of our prayers. Just like, Lord, search my heart. Know me. Know the anxieties that are in there, the anxious thoughts that are in there, the places that I am not trusting you. Show those to me, Lord, and help me. Lead me in the right way. Like, bring me past this stuff. Lead me in your way everlasting. And I love what Psalms 94 says. If I should say, my foot has slipped, your steadfast love, O Lord, will hold me up. He's just like, man, even if in the future my foot starts to slip and I'm starting to freak out, guess what's going to happen? God's still going to give me the kingdom. He's got me by my right arm, right? Your loving kindness, O Lord, it will hold me up. And then he says this, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, any of you guys ever feel that way? Like just your anxious thoughts multiplying within you about to cause you to explode? He says your consolations, your comforts delight my soul. Just like, God, you meet me in those moments. Hmm. All right, well, that's um, enough of my uh, verse rampage there. Um, but I will speak to one more group of you maybe today some of you guys are like man i have no idea what the heck you're talking about up here i don't know any peace and that would make sense because the scriptures say there is no rest for the wicked and i'm not calling you wicked and me not i was a sinner saved by the grace of god but if you haven't turned to god then your sins aren't forgiven i'm just a sinner forgiven that's our hope here none of us are perfect people if we think we are then we're being like the Pharisees, putting on a little mask and saying how cool we and great we are. We're forgiven by the grace of God. And if today if that doesn't make any sense to you, you're far from that today. You don't know the peace of God. You don't know the salvation of God. I believe this scripture, God would speak to you through. This is Hebrews 2. It says, because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all those who live their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Right? At the, at the core of, of every fear in the lives of unbelievers is the fear of death. Right? Like, they might not understand that every day, and maybe if that's you today, you might not understand that every day and know what that unsettledness within your soul is but the scriptures tell us hey if you don't know the lord you're a slave to this fear of dying it's looming over you all your days and you can heap up wealth and think about your retirement and think about all the good times you might have but that weight that slavery to the fear of death is looming over you and christ died to set you free from that christ died so that we could live the scripture says that the wages of our sin the penalty of our sin the paycheck of our sin is death. That's what we've earned for our sinning. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He became a human so that he could take our place, bear our sins so that we could be brought back to God. And when you think about death, ultimately death is being separated from God who is the source of life. 
So it's not just a physical death, it's a spiritual death the scriptures speak about, the one that Jesus warned about in this passage where he said, fear God who can throw you into hell for your sins, right? The righteous judgment that you deserve. Fear him and the fear of God would lead you to confess your sins and to throw yourself at the mercy of God and he would save your soul and deliver you from all your fears and promise to give you his kingdom. That's an amazing hope. Let's take a moment to pray together. Lord, you know where our hearts are in this place. You know what we need. Lord, I just want to join with David. Search us, O oh God. Know us. Find if there's any hidden anxieties within us or some that are right out in the open. Deal with those things, Lord. Deliver us from our anxieties. Lord, you're such a good father. And you don't deserve our fears. You deserve our faith. And so, Lord, may we be a people who trust you. May we be a people who shine into this world that we have a God that can be trusted. As David wrote in the psalm so often, who is a God like ours? Who is a rock that cannot be moved? Lord, may they see that we trust in your love. And we wholeheartedly believe that you are for us and not against us. That you take great pleasure in being our father. You say, what manner of love, how amazing is the love that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are through Christ. That you want to give us the kingdom happily, gladly welcoming us in. Lord, help us not to invest into the kingdom of worry. May we invest into the kingdom of God. And Lord, if there's any here today that do not know you, I pray that today they would turn to you and find life. They would find deliverance from the fear of death. They'd find deliverance from the guilt of their sin that weighs on their shoulders. And they would be welcomed into your family as you tell us that to all who believe in Christ, to all who receive him, are given the right to become the children of God. And so we, we pray for this, Father. Thank you for being so kind to us, so good to us. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.